Yeah, I am here today to talk about the 2017 film Ooh. King Arthur: Legend of the Sword, directed by Guy Ritchie. Um, a true film. Yeah, I guess a little bit of background with my experience of this movie. I saw it twice in movie theaters. Wow. <laughs> um, because I saw it the first time just because I was like bored and I was like, why the hell not? And I liked it so much that I watched it a second time. Um, similar to your movie, uh, I think it's it's Rotten Tomatoes wasn't quite as bad. I think it was like 30% on Rotten Tomatoes and maybe like 67% on IMDb, but oh. it was like 87% on Google. That's nice. So yeah, I think the people perhaps enjoyed it, even if the <laughs> critics didn't. Yeah. Um, this movie also, I will say, did not make up its budget in the box office. Oh, that's an important detail. Uh, that's yeah, done. it, it lost quite a bit, I think. <laughs> um, you hate to see it. You do hate to see it. That being said, it is delightful. I'm sure mine did too, but yeah, go off. Yeah, okay, so, <laughs> general premise, you know what, I'm not even gonna tell you this thing in the beginning that I forgot about, because it truly is almost irrelevant. So... At the beginning of the movie, um, Jude Law, who plays Arthur's uncle Vortigen or something like that, um, he takes over the palace. He takes over I, I Camelot, I suppose. Um, so he kills Arthur's mom and dad. If you're a if you're an Arthurian legend person, you would know that their names are Uther and what is the mom's Uther name? Pendragon? Uther, yeah, Uther. and. Grain, I think, is his mom's name or something like that. Okay. Um, I feel like you don't ever know their names in this movie. Anyway, so he kills his parents. Um, right before Arthur's dad dies, he manages to get Arthur onto like this little boat that's leading out of the palace, basically. Um, so Arthur is on this boat and ends up in London, where he's taken in by the women of a brothel, basically, and he grows up there. So you get this whole montage very guy Ritchie montage of arthur basically growing up in the brothel and like on the streets and becoming basically like this little mobster guy Ooh. who like runs the streets and he's so streetwise very and he has all Ritchie. these like laddish little friends and you know they do all these kind of vaguely mob like things it's like i said it's extremely guy Ritchie. Mm-hmm. um delight to watch um, so we get all this, and then after the montage, Arthur's an adult now, he's pretty established in London. Um, we find out that the king is making all men of a certain age come to the palace and try to pull the sword from the stone. So basically, the king's trying to find out what happened to Arthur, because he wants to eliminate this claim to the throne. <clears throat> Shoot. Yeah. So Arthur kind of on accident ends up getting captured by these people and he has to go and pull the sword from the stone. Um, it's really great. He's like brought over on this barge full of like, like they're all packed like sardines on this barge, taking them to the palace essentially. And there's this huge line and Arthur's just like, I think he's wearing a fur coat and he's just like, I don't have time for this. So he like forces his way through the line to get to the very front. Um... <laughs> David Beckham is playing the guy who's, like, basically supervising all of the guys trying to pull the sword from the stone. That's so you right. get a, a clutch little Beckham moment. Um, and then Arthur, of course, pulls Excalibur from the stone, 
promptly, like, passes out, which is so funny to me. He's just, like, he can't handle the power of the sword, so he just passes out. Um, he ends up, obviously, getting captured by Vortigern. So then, Vortigern, there's, like, a second R in his name, but I feel like they say it Vortigern. I don't know. It's that whole British thing where they don't say R's. Anyway, so he gets captured. Then he gets kidnapped again by this, like, rebel group. So it's, like, loyalists to Arthur. Oh. Um, Yeah, so they kidnap him again and are like, you're going to help us. You're going to reclaim your rightful place. And he's like, I actually don't want this. He's like, listen, you don't understand. I've got a good thing going for me back in London. I don't want any part of this. He's refusing the call. Yeah, he's refusing the call. Love it. Um, But, of course, he ends up sticking around with them. Long story short, he overthrows Vortigern at the end and becomes king. That is long story short. Yeah, well, the thing is, I will address some of the in-between stuff again with the stuff I like about this movie, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give you the blow-by-blow. Um... So, first thoughts, this is just a fun movie. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, like, it's a summer blockbuster movie. It doesn't have to be super well made. Like, it just has to be fun. That's all it's really asking. Um, So I don't get why the fuck people are trying to give this bad reviews. Who cares? It sounds like they had expectations of a different sort. Yeah, I don't know what the deal was. Mm -hmm. Um, so I went back to the notes that I took in 2017 after I saw the movie. What? You already had some? I already had some notes. (laughs) Direct quote from my notes. Between the gorgeous scenery, incredible costumes, and relentless, if somewhat overbearing soundtrack, this movie does a great job of getting you in the mood for adventure and sword fighting and shit. And isn't that what a summer action flick is supposed to do? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Then... On a related note, as I was Googling last night, I found an article by a man named Steve Rose. Uh, it was published in The Guardian on March 1st of this year, 2021, Incredible. titled Hear Me Out, Why King Arthur, Legend of the Sword Isn't a Bad Movie, All which right. like, thank you, Steve, but I've been on this <laughs> shit for five years now, so like, maybe keep up. Um, <laughs> yeah, where's he been? Yeah, who knows? Um, But here are some direct quotes from that article that I felt suited my point quite nicely. So first we have, In its defense, Legend of the Sword is lively, spectacular, ridiculous, and splurges an enormous budget, which is never a dull thing to watch. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Steve. Um, He also says, Legend of the Sword is also a total mess, which is brilliant. Oh. I was like, Yeah. Thank you, Steve. It's enjoyable. Yeah, and then... Kind of unrelated, and I didn't really touch on this, and I won't again, but um, at the film's conclusion, the, this united nations of outcasts and lower-class scum overthrow the rural elites and establish a new social order. Wow. Which, like, yes, we love this energy. This That's movie, like whole thing here. <laughs> yeah, this movie is just, like, here for you. It's here to have a good time and be kind of chaotic and dumb in the process, which is great. Absolutely. That's the first point. It's a fun movie. Second point, Jude Law is great in this movie. Yeah. He is our villain, and I love him. So, like I was talking about when we were talking about Le Chiffre yes. in James Bond, Indeed. is, you know, I was talking about, like, the two kinds of villains that I feel like you see a lot. This villain is the cartoonishly evil, I'm here because I want power, and that's all that you need to know about me kind of villain. Okay. And Jude Law does a great job with it. 
He's like, um, always kind of lounging around, kind of like in these all black outfits. And sometimes it's like brocade silk and other times it's leather. Oh, and sometimes oh he deigns to wear chain mail, but he's still got like a black hood. Oh my God. And it's, it's great. Wow. Um, they're beautiful costumes as well. I just love it. I wrote, this man lives and dies for the drama and we truly have no choice but to stand, mm. which is great. Um, he's also made some sort of Faustian bargain to become like a demon knight. That's awesome. Kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I had understood it, which I think I might be wrong. I had originally understood it as that he had made this deal and he was kind of possessed by this evil sorcerer Mordred, which gave him evil wizard powers. Oh. I think he still has the evil wizard powers as this demon knight, but I, I don't know. Mordred's at the beginning of the movie, and I don't know why they would have included him at all if he wasn't involved in this demon knight affair. Um, but at any rate, he's got these evil wizard powers through some sort of shady dealings, um, which is another nice element. Um, j just a side note, at one point there's a giant snake, and it helps Arthur and his friends invade and take over the castle. Wow. So that's awesome. Um, thank you, Big Snake, for your service. Uh, and then my last kind of casual note is that there's really casual inclusion of people of color in this movie. And Guy Ritchie does not give a single shit whether that's historically accurate or appropriate or not. I'm and pumping. none of the rest of us do either. Right. The great thing is it's like... So the first characters that we meet of color, so we have Arthur's friends, I can't remember their names, but they have these stupid nicknames, but one of his friends is black, and he's been his friend ch since childhood, and then he also ha knows this Chinese man, who I think they all call Kung Fu George or something, like it's a bad what? name, <laughs> but there's like this Chinese man in London who basically runs, like, a dojo and teaches Arthur how to fight, That's which cool. is kind of dumb, and, like, you can tell <laughs> Guy Ritchie just included it because he, like, really loves martial arts and hand-to-hand -hand combat. But also, like, why not just have this Chinese man who's, like, Arthur's friend? For sure. And then um, one of the noblemen, so Sir Bedivere, who ends up kind of kidnapping Arthur and is trying to get him on the throne. He is also black and is a really great addition to the movie. This is awesome. Yeah, so that's really cool. And all three of those men make it through the movie, if I remember correctly, and I, they all become his knights at the end, uh, which is great. Um, right? So I think that's just fun. Um, so another side note about the knights is that he consistently refers to them as the lads throughout the movie. That's good. Yeah, and, like, at one point when he first meets Sir Bedivere, he refers to him as a silly posh bastard. Ooh, and so generally, there's, like, this very modern, kind of, like, laddish, bantery language, which, of course, is just, like, a Guy Ritchie thing. Like, you know that Guy Ritchie included it because that's just what he thinks is funny and good. But also, it really really works because we've established Arthur as somebody who grew up on the streets, you know, streets. and is not like from the palace. Mm -hmm. So having him talk like that, even if it's not historic, is so good for me. And then also I was thinking about it today, it actually kind of, I don't think this is intentional, but maybe it was, it also kind of gives off Once in Future King vibes <gasps> because that book um, was written in the 50s and it also does this thing where it'll 
make references and use language that's very contemporary, which is part of the point because the whole book is about um, time, basically, and, you know, the concept of being the once and future king. I didn't get that part. <laughs> I actually haven't read that much of the book either, but yeah. I've read enough to interpret it from that. That's awesome. So, yeah, I feel like, I don't know if Guy Ritchie was trying to channel once and future king energy, but it kind of does Why in not? that way. Yeah. Um, which is great. That is cool. We love to hear it. Yes. Get tied together like that. Yeah. So, um, kind of moving on from there, this movie's actually smarter than you might think it is. I already am pretty, pretty, uh, on board with the smartness. Yes. Tell me about it. Yes. So I think this comes across in the themes that I think are the two big themes. The first theme, I haven't seen anybody really writing about it, but this is kind of how I interpreted it is the theme of Arthur kind of addressing the trauma of his childhood. So, like I said before, is when Arthur initially tries to wield Excalibur, he passes out, and then later he kind of maintains consciousness, but he loses control, like he can't control the sword. Wow. Um, So we kind of find out that this is because when he wields the sword, it shows him visions of when his father died. That's sad. Yeah, so we know from the beginning of the movie that he's there in this fight between Vortigen, and his uncle, and his father, Uther. Okay. And I can't remember that well, but I feel like you're led to believe that either Arthur and the boat took off some point during the battle, or that Arthur just looked away and he didn't see it. Um, but you end up finding out that actually he was there the whole time and he watched the whole thing. So oh, he, he saw his father die. Um... And so Arthur's inability to wield the sword is linked to his unwillingness to see what the sword is trying to show him. That's heavy shit. Yeah, so it's kind of like he's unwilling to address it. And because he's unwilling to address it, he can't wield the sword. And so he has to... That's an excellent metaphor. Yeah, he has to deal with that over the course of the movie. And so it's really satisfying because by the end of the movie, he not only defeats his uncle who killed his father, but... He's also able to use this sword. He's willing to address that this is why his father's dead. Like I said, I haven't seen anybody else talking about this. That's and I've read so a few cool. articles, but this is how I interpreted it. No, no one read into that? Yeah, maybe they have, but of the well, articles I looked at, nobody was talking about that. Yeah. Which I was like, I don't know, I don't think I'm making up this trauma thing. I feel like it's real. Yeah, and like, I feel like that is a very deliberate choice that they made that like is really realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the other bigger theme that I have seen people talking about is kind of a religious philosophy thing, which is why... That's your thing. I, that's the secret reason why I really wanted to talk about this movie. Okay. So it's kind of this general issue, this big issue in religious philosophy is why does God allow the devil or evil to exist mm-hmm. if God is, as the Bible says, a caring God who knows everything and is able to do anything. Right. Um, so this is kind of dealt with in the movie. We know that Jude Law is this demon knight. And cool. in the final battle with Arthur, he asks Arthur, like, what inspired him to move up in the world? Because, you know, like, he says something about, like, how he, he could have grown up in a palace, but instead he grew up on the streets. And what... Let me see, he says, um, 
what gave you such drive? And then Arthur says, it's because of Vortigen and because mm. Vortigen killed his parents and he grew up on the streets instead of a palace, he was inspired to, I guess, take matters into his own hands. I don't know. So he says, I am here now because of you. You created me. And then the absolute banger of the line, the best line in any movie, you make sense of the devil. Oh, yeah. So the idea here is that evil, in a way, gives life to goodness. Because evil drives humanity to create or perform great acts of goodness to combat evil. Wow, is that your note? That is my note. This is like, I mean, I'm not the person to come up with this thought, but this is how I've kind of paraphrased it to make sense of it. So this idea of even like, can good exist in a vacuum? Like if everybody's always doing good things, is it truly good? What do you compare it to? Yeah, right. You need evil to have something to compare goodness to, to know that something's good, perhaps. Um... So yeah, this is a, a really interesting theme, and we love to see it in a Guy Ritchie movie. That's so interesting. We love to see it anywhere, but in a Guy Ritchie movie specifically. Holy shit. It's just such a delight. I don't think I've seen many of his work. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you've seen Man from Uncle, which is a That's movie true. I really love, but I don't really think they're addressing any deep themes in that movie. No, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird to me. I don't know how involved he was in the script of this movie. I ended up finding out um, in my research that this movie was in production for like six years or something. Oh. It was initially supposed to be like the first part of a series of movies. And I don't think all of the movies were supposed to be King Arthur related, but I think maybe they were They were supposed to be kind of like legends in general. That's cool. Um, and Guy Ritchie wasn't initially the director as well. So I don't know, there are, there are obviously parts where you can tell Guy Ritchie was involved, but I don't know, <laughs> like, I mean, the, the style specifically is very Guy Ritchie, um, but I don't know script-wise how much he actually had to do with it. But like I said, I, I just think this movie is actually pretty, pretty smart, and there's a lot to think about it. I feel like I want to check it out now. You should. This is great. Yeah. So that's those are the things that I really like about this movie. Um, and I have a few minor caveats. So the, the first thing is that the cinematography is kind of a mess. Um, it's weirdly disorienting at times, I think, especially in the fight scenes. And this is, once again, like a Guy Ritchie thing. So in these fight scenes, you have like a lot of very like fast movement and then slow-mo where... I think Guy Ritchie thinks it's cool. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I'm here because I want to watch sword fighting. And then the style of it, it makes it hard to follow what's happening and stuff like that. Um, and that's just a, just kind of like a bummer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's not great. The other bigger thing is that this movie just doesn't do a great job with its female characters. Yeah. Um, so we know... Arthur's mom and Vortigen's wife both die within the first 10 minutes. Um, this is especially disappointing because Vortigen's wife, whose name I have no idea what it is, but she is played by Katie McGrath, who, if anybody out here listening to this has watched BBC television series Merlin, oh, Katie no. McGrath plays Morgana, the sexy evil witch lady. That's cool. 
And she's so good in that show. And so I saw her in this movie and I was like, thank God Guy Ritchie bringing us Katie McGrath in our Arthurian legend media. And then she just dies. I was like, what the frick? Wasted. Why would you do that to me? Um, the other thing that kind of sucks is that in order to obtain and maintain his evil wizard powers, Vortigen has to make a blood sacrifice, which is his wife, and later he has to do it again with his daughter. What the f- Once again, we don't know what either of their names are or were. Also, how evil. Yeah. I mean, like, it- We don't even know their names, though? No, it's like, well, they might tell you their names, but, like, I don't remember them. They're, they're just, like, not enough of a character for you to be like, oh, that's what that person's name is. Um, yeah. So there's only one female character in the movie who has any importance at all. Um, she is a mage that's who, great. yeah, is with Arthur's little crew. Um, mm. she's pretty great. She's not impressed by Arthur at all. Um... It's actually, so, something I really like is that they don't try to force a romance between Arthur and this female character at all. There is no romance in the movie. Incredible. So, when they first meet, Arthur's kind of flirting with her a little bit, but it's it's clear that even he isn't invested in it. Because this, so this is right at the beginning where he is just pissy about having been kidnapped by, like, he doesn't want to be involved in this at all. He's just being an asshole to everyone, and you get the idea that him flirting with her is just him being an asshole, which, like, not a very charming character trait, but also, like, not unrealistic. So he's, like, flirting with her, and she's having nothing of it. I think she, like, uses her magic to, like, push him off his horse or something. That's cool. So it's pretty great. And by the end of the movie, the two have kind of, like, um, I would say they respect each other. They have a bit of a partnership. She's the one who summons the giant snake and helps him get into the castle. So the relationship between them is actually pretty good. The thing, though, is I call her this mage. She has no name. They call her the mage throughout the entire movie. Oh, man. So literally none of these women have names, or if they do, we don't know them. What the heck? So it's kind of a mess. I do, Um... I do, I do appreciate that they didn't push a romance, though. Yeah, I was gonna say, that's, like, the saving grace right. from this standpoint, is that they're just like, no, there's no romance here. Like, too often you'll see, like, the only surviving female character gets pushed off on a romance plot, and I hate that shit. Yeah. So I'm glad that didn't happen here. Yeah. I was yeah. gonna say, and, like, I'm, like, like, I'm disappointed that there's really no <laughs> female presence in this movie, right. but also, like... What do you expect? Like, I am willing to look past it because I think it's a pretty good movie otherwise. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Let's see. Other, other thing that's a little bit upsetting is there's no Merlin either. Like, what's the point with no Merlin? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's also a bit of a bummer. But if they had given us Merlin and then there was no female mage character, that would have perhaps been even worse. What if she was Merlin? What if she was Merlin? See, I would love that. I think they mentioned Merlin by name oh. in the movie, so we know she's not Merlin, but, like, what if she was? Yeah. That maybe, would be pretty good, actually. Maybe they're thinking about bringing him around, like, if it was a series or something. Yeah. Ah, that Who would knows? be interesting. Um, but that'd be pretty great. Those are my major beefs. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Do you, do you have any questions? I just feel kind of fascinated. Like, I think I chalked that movie up in my mind to be kind of, like that uh Kristen Stewart led uh um what's her name? You know what I mean? 
No. Chris- Joan of Arc movie. She, she's in a Joan of Arc movie? Yeah. yeah. I saw it in theaters. And it was, you know, like, not great. And yeah, huh. I think I thought it was going to be kind of like that. Like, um, not not stellar, you know, of the time period. Yeah. Movie. I mean, to be fair, I'm not sure I would say that this movie is stellar either, but I do love it. I'd For that reason, I think I would love it too. Yeah. And I guess I, I sold you by acting like there were big themes that they addressed oh, yeah. in this movie. Also, when you enjoy a movie, that means it's like really enjoyable because I think you have high standards. I don't know if you would enjoy Monkey Bone, but you really like Man from Uncle, and so did I. I do love Man from Uncle. Uh, um, I'm not actually sure I do have high standards, but. Well, that's different. That's fair. I thanks Sally. Um, but I yeah, like I said, I love this movie. Um, a couple of I wasn't sure if I was gonna talk about this, but a couple of weird <laughs> things about the movie is and this was addressed in that article I was talking about earlier, Uh-oh. is that there's some like bits of like mythology type things that they pull in that I don't know why they brought in. So like the thing the guy talked about in the article was this like the baby like going down the river on the boat thing. Right. But I hadn't really thought about that. The thing that really got me is that the kind of force that Vortigen is making this blood sacrifice to are these, like, siren and or tentacle monster ladies who live in this, like, pond underneath the castle, basically. And I'm like, where did you get these tentacle monsters from? (laughs) Since when has this been an aspect of Arthurian right. legend? Like, have I been missing out on something? Yeah. Why are we building it this way? Because I truly don't know where they come from. Like, they, I feel like they could have had any sort of other magical reason for him to have these powers without these tentacle monster ladies. Right. And I, I, Whatever his actual thing from the legend is. Yeah. Like, I don't know, but it, I found that so strange and I can't get over it. Huh. The other thing was just the naming of things... Uh, is kind of weird and inconsistent. So, like, um, I can't remember when this movie was set, but it's set in the Roman period, and they refer to London as Londinium. Oh, wow. And I heard that the first time, and I was like, that's stupid as hell. There's no (laughs) way that's real. I looked it up. It is real. London actually was called Londinium. The only reason I bring it up now (laughs) is because... They're going back to that. Because that would be terrible. <laughs> but it's because along with that, both Vortigen and Arthur also refer to the territory that they rule over as England, specifically the word England, which is a more modern word. Right. Um, so I think even if you were to use kind of England in general, I saw that it comes from England, which is the land of the Angles, basically. Um, so England and Londinium were probably not used at the same time. Weird. The other thing that gets me about that is that Arthur's territory was not just England, but also parts of Scotland, I believe parts of Ireland, Wales in its entirety, and in fact, parts of France. Like Britain, Greater Britain. Yes, Greater Britain. Yeah. So. (laughs) Britain proper. The fact that they, they use England is just not correct. And so I just think it's really jarring when you've already used Londinium. Like, right. if you're going to use England, just say London, because nobody <laughs> wants to hear Londinium. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Right? So that kind of drives me nuts. But there we go. That's, that's my thoughts. That's funny. <laughs> I kind of love that. Well, 
For a movie that is, like, based in, like, fictional, historical, you know, like, what's that called? Historical fiction? Yeah. It sounds pretty great. Yeah, I would say for a historical fiction, I I think it's really fun. I couldn't speak to the costuming at all. I don't know how um, accurate it is, but it's very fun to look at. That's cool. Um, That is important. Yeah. Because that's some of my, like, criticisms about uh, things set during, like, night times. Nighttime. Like... Nighttime. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, medieval period. Yeah. Is, like, sometimes their costumes aren't popping off in a satisfying way to me. Yeah. But, yeah. As I say, like, the costumes are fun to look at. I don't really care about the the finer details. We can let the element of Londinium slide. (laughs) We can. It just sounds like a periodic element. I know. It just sounds fake. Yeah. I genuinely was so appalled that that was real. (laughs) What were they thinking? I was, yeah, I was almost more angry that that was real than if it was actually just a fake thing they had made. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. Wow. Anyway, was that what it was called first? Um, I don't know. Huh. All I know is, is that what it, that's what it was called during the London period, or the Roman period. Interesting. Alright, I love that for that. Yeah. <laughs> Any other love letters you want to write about this movie? No, that's that's the love letter. Thank you for the chance to talk about religious philosophy. Heck yeah. Maybe we'll get more chances. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, maybe someday. I, I don't think it's relevant for this episode, but yeah. I have my religious philosophy slash conspiracy theory that uh just about how they Adam and Eve were always supposed to be cast down from paradise they were never supposed to be there the whole time incredible yeah <gasps> Do you we don't have to include this in the episode wow. but I can tell you about what it. a cliffhanger okay <laughs> I can just tell you about it we can cut it out all right so the my thing is so God created humans that means that he created all of their emotions as well right yeah. does yeah. that follow I feel Okay, so if God created humans, then he created human curiosity. Mm-hmm. He also put the tree in the garden with them mm-hmm. and explicitly mentioned it to them to yeah. tell them that they weren't supposed to do anything with it. But he created curiosity, so he knew that one of them was going to be curious about it. The other thing is, is that when he created them, I think the idea is that they were both naked because they didn't know shame. Right. With the implication that perhaps they also couldn't bear children because menstruation was the punishment that he gave Eve when... Whoa. So, like, the reason, in theory, in the Bible, that women menstruate and have menstrual pains is because of Eve's sin. So stupid. So the way I interpret it is that when he created humans, they had all this curiosity, but perhaps they couldn't create children. Okay. That tracks. Yeah. So, my thinking is, he sets them up so that they'll definitely do this thing. Mm-hmm. Then he casts them down to earth and gives them the ability to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. But he can't just initially put them on earth because he wants them to see paradise so that they know what it looks like so that they'll want to go back. So they'll want to be good so that they can go to heaven later. Okay. I have my own opinions about all does that. Does this track? It does track. I I just... Yeah. I have opinions that do not... I'm not saying I like it. I'm oh, agree. This is yeah. my, my theory. You're on. You're on. I'm just getting triggered. <laughs> go on. That's it. Oh, God. What an asshole. Yeah. He just had to let them see it. Because if they hadn't see it, how would they know what they could be having? Absolutely. What an ass. That's manipulative. Yeah, but he is manipulative exactly. in the Old Testament. I have so many opinions about it. I hate it a lot. It's awful. I don't have to have feelings about it because I wasn't raised, raised Catholic. There you go. <laughs> Removed and just analytical about it. That's chill. 
Anyways, that's my conspiracy conspiracy theory. That's my religious philosophy theory. Do more? No, that's it. That's awesome. All right. I'm going to wrap it up. Yeah. Thanks for joining us on our movies that we might be the number one fan of. Yes. If you think you're a bigger fan of King Arthur Legend of the Sword than I am, put in the comments. Email me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's chat. Yeah, absolutely. Find me on Omegle. Omegle, wow. I'm just making shit up. Uh, yeah. Cool. This was fun. Thanks for sharing about Monkey Bone. Thanks for sharing about King Arthur Legend of the Sword. Of course. Always. And good night. Good night. <laughs>